0: And we get almost back in front of the school, and he puts his hand out and he goes, "Congratulations, you're now a pilot." And I was like, "Yes," <laughs> you know. Welcome to the In the Pattern podcast. Make left traffic clear for the option.
1: Minneapolis
2: departure Archer six four one Charlie Charlie two thousand climbing three thousand.
1: Line up and wait seven range four Mike Elton.
3: I'm John. I'm Chris. I'm Brad. And I'm Mark. And we are the In The Pattern Podcast.
1: All right, welcome to episode 28 of the In The Pattern Podcast. Thanks for, uh, Clicking on the podcast and getting back with us, we've got a special episode, a milestone, if you will. Um, we're all back together. Uh, this is Chris, and I'd like to just say hi to my guys out there. Uh, we got Brad. Hey, Brad. Howdy. How y'all doing? We're doing good, and a little warmer than you, but uh, glad that uh, you haven't seen snow in a while.
2: Uh, six days and counting. Excellent. And it is uh, May. What is it? Ninth. <laughs>
1: The pictures you put up the other day, I was like, are you serious? Where is this coming from? How long, how long have you, did you grow up there where you're at? Well, not far. I grew up in, uh, outside of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And do you remember any other winters that dragged on like this for so long? Uh, we had, I think we set our
2: record for this part of the state for, for snow in April. I think we had 30 inches of snow in April (laughs) and no. Oh, man.
1: Anyways, let's go to the East Coast. John Conway, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Good. Glad to be back. Did you have fun uh, down there at the Sun and Fun? Oh, it was wonderful. Excellent. I, uh, I had a blast. Seemed like fun. Um, I was listening to the uh, Sun and Fun radio as often as I could, and and uh, we got we got on the Not So Sun and Fun podcast for a few minutes, too. That was fun. yeah. And over to the west coast, we've got Mark Lacoste. What's up, buddy? Hey guys, it's good to hear. Uh, good to finally be back on here again. It's been a while. Yes, yes. And um, so here we all f- here we are all finally back together again. And uh, want to put out a special episode. Uh, most people who's listening to this probably already know uh, Mark has passed his check ride, uh, which which means I was just thinking about this the other day. John, you got to edit the website. No, I don't, oh no, 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 I already put it in parentheses after well, we got I got
3: my check ride I, I see we're we're all still students, remember
1: well you're all yeah you we're always learning so
3: exactly, I'm not changing it,
1: okay for student pilots uh and students being in parentheses air, air quotes parentheses, yeah. whatever you want, <laughs> excellent, yeah, so uh we wanted to uh get this episode out there and let everyone hear about uh mark's check ride uh. Ourselves, we haven't really heard the the dirty details of it all. So uh, I'd like to just hand it over right now to Mark to tell the story and uh, hear what it's all about.
0: Well, sure. Um, you know what? It's funny. I just listened to episode 27 and realized that where I left off last, I think was probably sometime in January, February. I think it was January. January. And, yeah. And January I was, 30th. Yeah, and I was thinking, oh, I've only got a couple of weeks left. Well. As it has been with my training, two weeks turned into four weeks. Um, it, availability, of the plane, availability of the instructor—you know, things kept dragging out. Availability of the uh, the DPE to do the mock check ride—it um, just pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. So um, I didn't finally do the check ride until March fifteenth. Um, and and let me just say of of all the exams that I've taken in my life. And, and even I started thinking about even back through college, I've had an issue with mentally locking up, and this exam was no different. Um, so I'll preface it all, and we'll jump back. I'll say that I, you know, I was going to do uh, a little bit of air work here, work on my landings uh, there, and I did that. And everything got dialed in, and I, and I did the mock check ride with uh, the DPE which, from what I understand, on uh, even from you guys, but from folks on Twitter and, and other um, online sources, that that's not very common. Um, did, did did you guys have that experience at all? That you actually do a mock check ride with a DPE with that you're gonna fly with?
3: I, I actually didn't. Um, yeah, I, I, I think up. it's cheating. <laughs> 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 it's not cheating. Um, I mean, I, I've heard of, of of people doing that, but um, mine was with um, another instructor, and then I did two, one with another instructor in the um, flight school and then
0: one with my instructor. See, I, I guess normally – I guess the normal policy in, in in this flight school is that it would be a senior instructor that would go up with you to do the mock check ride. Well, it also turns out that this DPE also teaches – at the school, and I, I was I was questioned that I'm like, well, is there any kind of conflict there? And um, I asked a few people and said, absolutely not. So I was like, okay, um, we actually have three DPEs in the area. So I took the mock track check ride with uh, with one. His name is uh, Jim Henson. Um, no relation to the other Jim. <laughs> different name. Somebody was threw that out of me on on Twitter. No, he's not the Muppet guy. Um, <laughs> um but uh very nice gentleman he uh he's very friendly and kind of uh made it like a lesson uh and this is the mock check ride made it like a lesson and he, he just he wanted to go up and see what i knew and what i didn't know and what you know what i needed to work on um we went up that day i think for an hour and a half and did the mock check ride and and it went really well um I had a few things to work on. Um, he was really impressed with my VOR work. Um, he said, of all the student pilots that I've, I've flown with lately, that meaning the last six, seven months, he said, you by far have the best grasp on that. Um, when he diverted me, which is my biggest concern, um, he, uh, he goes, This is what I recommend you do when you take your checkride, not knowing if I was going to fly with him or another DPE. He says, Just orbit the aircraft. Get your bearings, do your math, then proceed on. And I was able to do that. You know, he said, "Okay, divert to this airfield," and I, I knew exactly where we were orbiting. Did that, pulled out the plotter, measured my distance, did my quick calcs on the my uh, sporty's uh, E6B, and um, gave him the numbers. And he goes, "Okay." Let's go see how close you are and flew right to it, and I think I was probably within twenty seconds and he goes that's <laughs> that's pretty impressive uh Wow he goes okay Nice. he goes okay now uh go ahead and uh, let's do some uh some takeoff and landings. Let's do the the short field soft field, another issue that I've had in my head, uh, and I worked on him and worked on him and worked on him. I mean, I probably put an additional three hours of nothing but shorts and softs, and I finally. Somebody pulled me aside and and suggested some techniques, and I was like, okay, let me go try this. And all of a sudden, it got easy. And I was like, okay, and it is, um, it's it's really you know just like any other landing, you get a stabilized approach. It's it's hypercritical is what I, I call it. Hypercritical to get that stabilized approach first, and it makes life so much easier. That. Mm-hmm. And and don't be afraid to be on the rudders. I've always been very tentative to be on the rudders, and um, especially with the Archer that I fly, he showed me. He goes, we could be right here, and he started just hitting them. Fl- he flooring each side, and he goes, all we're doing is just hitting some yaw. We're not going to flip over. We're not going to do anything crazy. He's like, just get on your rudders, get happy. He, what we called happy feet, basically. And and you know standardized stabilized approach, and all of a sudden I started hitting them. I'm putting them right on the numbers, or right on the dash, or you know whatever he wanted. Um, so that was the one thing I had to work on during the uh, from the mock check ride. Uh, everything else was was fine, uh, so I was pretty happy with that. Um, we wanted to do a little bit of work after that, and then tried to schedule it like a week later. That week pushed out to two weeks. And um, so we finally scheduled it, and so I started listening to some older episodes, and 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 I guess I'm right in line with you guys in that the the morning of the exam, um, we spent about the first hour going through the forms, um, which I had actually gone there the night before, grabbed them out of the the locker in the hangar, gone through everything, and I actually was able to uh, to to bookmark some stuff. The, the key things that he would, I knew he was going to look for. And uh, so when I pulled the forms out in the morning, he says, well, you know, what about your your engine, your airframe, or are, are we good, or all the, uh, is everything in compliance? And uh, I'm like flipping to the page, there it is, because I already had it like a, uh, what do you call it, a post-it tab on there. And he's like, oh, this is awesome. This is excellent, excellent. So I'm thinking, oh, sweet, this is going nice. to be easy. Wrong. so we get into hour number two and he starts going through the rest of the oral and this is where i start to freeze up we get into we started going through the pre-flight and every stage and every step you do in the pre-flight you know checking your weather and um you know the, the aircraft is good and it's serviceable and um at least with the forms so uh, I, I show him all the steps I go through to get the weather, and I show him my flight plan of how I you know, write the whole thing out. And he gets to the point where we get to airspace. Now, I think I know airspace. And let me just say this. After the check ride, I studied probably another 10 hours of nothing but airspace. So now I know airspace. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> but the thing was, let me just say for for our listeners, if if you think you know airspace— study it some more. If you think you know weather, study it some more. Um, like any other pro- progressive type of test, uh, when they when an instructor finds a weak spot, they're going to dig and dig and dig. And that's where it flustered me. Um, I honestly got to the point that I did not know what the minimums were in class echo airspace or class golf airspace. I was that flustered. You know, the things that we talk about the 1,000, 2500 feet, um, you know, one mile clear of clouds, all of that stuff. I couldn't remember any of it. I mean, I was so flipped out that, I mean, we, we, he would go, okay, we'll come back to that. and we talk about other things? And it was fine. Um, but then he'd come back to some obscure abbreviations for weather or... Oh. or, or
1: <laughs> that's that's just dirty.
0: Or the remarks section on a METAR. What does this remark mean? Oh, like the A02? Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I had talked to my instructor about that a week before, and and I knew the stuff, whether it's weather reporting (laughs) or completely locked up my brain. Did you have your FAR aim with you? I did. That's when I break it out. (laughs) And that's the thing is I was trying to do this without digging in. He goes, well, you know that you have the stuff here. If you want to take a break, we'll go ahead and we can take a break. And he was very cool about that. He goes, "Understand, Mark. I'm. I want you to succeed. I'm not trying to instantly fail you. I want you to pass this test." He goes, "It. It. it ha- it's not a function of I'm here to fail you. That's completely opposite. I want you to succeed. I want you to be a private pilot. I want you to go out and fly and enjoy it. But I want you to. I just want to make sure that you're safe and you understand everything." So, um, we took about a 15 minute break and I went out in the, in the, the clubhouse area and I pulled out my far aim and I pulled out, um, one of the study guides that had a complete breakdown. I mean, a great breakdown of all the different airspace, all the requirements, you know, the minimums and everything that you need for VFR flight. And I'm like, I know this stuff. I know this stuff. And then he goes back in and he goes, okay, what's the minimum for class golf? I couldn't remember one mile clear of clouds. Oh no. I mean, he's like, are you kidding me? Do you need to take another break? I'm like, you know, and finally it, it just, all of a sudden he goes, I started reading it verbatim off of a card and he goes, wait, what'd you say? Class golf, one mile clear of clouds. Boom. We're good. You know it now. <laughs> <laughs> move along. Well, Let's, I don't know
1: about know it, but, but exactly. He goes, it he,
0: he, you know, it was part of the <laughs> conversation. The it was part of the conversation though. And he's like, he's like, okay, that's what I wanted to hear. He goes, I wasn't digging for anything deeper than that, and I went, oh well, it, that I knew. It's, he it's, wasn't looking for night above above ten thousand feet. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and 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 it was it was simple stuff like you know when do you need a mode C transponder, and I and I and I was able to rattle that stuff off, you know, and inner above B, inner above, you know, and it's like it's it's. All of this stuff. And he's like, great, great, great. And then he would whip out the chart, and he started looking at at symbols that are the most obscure symbols you'll ever find. And he said, well, what is this? And it was one of the things, Brad, that we talked about on the previous episode was the repeaters. Yeah. And he goes, what's that? And I knew it. And he goes, well, tell me how it works. I talked about this on the previous podcast. Do you think that I can regurgitate that? Oh, no. No way. And he goes, we've talked about this. He goes, and I've heard you talking to other people about this. And, and, but by this time I'm just fried, I'm mentally fried. So we go to something else and we he came could back. Have
1: asked you how to make a, 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 bacon and egg sandwich and you couldn't have figured it out at that exactly. point. Exactly. How do you, how you know? do you, yeah, exactly.
0: How do you boil an egg? And at the, at that <laughs> point I was just like, uh, uh, um, you know, how many, how many, min- name?
1: how many minutes do you boil a two minute egg for? Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so you know we we
0: he he's very very good in the fact that he flipped the conversation onto something way less stressful um and honestly at this point in time i don't even remember what it was but i remember the air. we we literally cut the tension uh in there kind of had a laugh about something and then he goes so so talk to me about this and we would just like we're having a conversation instead of being tested. And he goes, "Okay, great. Okay, great." Mm-hmm. And he's going down his. What freaks me out is he's going down his little check, checklist. You know, okay, you're good there. You're good there. And uh, or you know, like he, he would check something off and write something. And I'm like, uh, "Crappy writing. <laughs> Stop writing." <laughs> <laughs> but he but he's got to tell you if you blew it. So exactly. And, and at no point in time did he did he say that. Um, so that, you know, that worked, it ended up working out well. So when he changed, when he changed the format from being a quiz or a, an oral quiz and turned it into a conversation, my brain, I think, just let go and all the information came out and he goes, okay, I knew you knew this cause you're Bo's student and I know Bo knows this stuff and I know he taught you this. So, um, so finally, after we were the, the oral ended up being three and a half hours. So we took a break after he goes, okay, we're good. We've covered everything. I'm happy. You know this. Now let's relax, get the forms, you know, get the keys to the plane. Let's walk out to the plane and just, he goes, take a break real quick and then we'll walk out more preflight. pre-flight. So we took a break and kind of caught my breath and I went, okay, the hard part's over. And I actually had some people. Uh, that were hanging out there just for me (laughs) during my test, some local pilots and friends in moral support. Exactly. And uh, a couple of them are in my civil air patrol unit and they're like, how'd you do? How'd you do? I'm like, I think we're done with the oral. And they're like, you know what? That's the hardest part. Now you get to go have fun. And one of them saying that I went, okay, I'm good. I think if, if that was the hard part, the flying I've got no problem. And, um, so got all our stuff together. we went out uh pre flight uh went fine um, started up the plane, got in, took off we went out uh to the practice area um, all of the high air work not a problem um slow flight not a problem. I knew this stuff I would have I had nailed down the one thing that I was having problems with was uh steep turns um i I was either uh, chasing it, or um, I wouldn't. I, I would be just outside the uh, the PTS standards for the exit point for whatever reason. I think because I was too focused on, you know, maintaining altitude or airspeed or whatever. And then my instructor showed me a trick. At least this works for the Archer. I'm not sure about Cessnas. Um, you you roll into the turn trim, and trim, trim, trim. Yeah, exactly. Three three mm-hmm. uh, pull back on the trim three times. I roll the trim back three times. And I found out later, he taught me that, but it's it's in the archer, it's three pulls. Well, yep. I was doing, I was only doing like two. I, what I thought was a, a, a full 180 degrees or maybe it's only 60 degrees of trim. I'm not sure how much that three pulls are, but what I was doing in practice previous wasn't enough. As soon as I figured that out, mm-hmm. that I need to get a full three pulls, it just it's rolled in I'm right there at, at like 45 50 degrees whatever it is boom just right on the horizon kept pulling around leveled it out took the trim out boom done I mean he goes and that was I, I forgot to say that in in our uh, check ride prep I, I busted that like three different times He's okay, you need to work on those so during the check ride I did one to the left which is technically harder. No, I did. Yeah, I did one. I did one to the left because I knew I had that one nailed um, one to the right. I could do that one, too. Um, not a big deal, but um, uh, nailed that. And he's like, wow, you've been practicing that. So that, that's great. And then he diverts me as, after we're flying around the, the whole Sacramento area and I'm on flight following. So I know that I'm good uh, as far as, you know, crossing any airspace. And uh, he diverts me to an airport that is probably thirty miles away, and and previously we expected it to be one of the local little airports, like he did during the during the mock check ride. And uh, it's one that I'd never been to, and I'd never even been on that area. And come to find out, when he did uh, my buddy Keith's multi-engine commercial instrument, that's where he diverted him to was to that same field too. So maybe that's one of his new. Um, happy fields or whatever that one he likes to go to on the chart it's right next to another field so when i did my initial calculations it's actually it's actually southwest by i think 4 miles from this other one so when i did my calcs um he saw that i had lined up to the first field and he's like uh-oh he never said a word he went uh-oh but i was over a former air force base and i was i was orbiting so i could get all my stuff done and he's like who are you orbiting well i want to get my bearings before i go anywhere and i don't want to fly through sacramento international airports airspace he's like it doesn't matter you have flight following you could go wherever you want atc will tell you and i mean he was doing things it was I, I later found out when he was saying this thing that was part of his diversion thing to kind of mess with me um yeah and we talked about this and he goes later he told me he said, when I asked you why you were orbiting and why you didn't just fly through SACS airspace and, and, and just head to the airport in, in the general direction, he goes, I was acting like somebody who didn't know any better. Or if you had more of an, an aggressive uh, person flying with you, he goes, you did absolutely the exact thing. And in, in the previous episode, one of the things that I had told you guys is being prior military and, and the way I was raised Somebody in a, in a position of authority, I usually will tend to um, listen to what they have to say, do what they have to say, and, and really not question that order. Um, this was the first—well, I won't say the first time—but this was definitely one of those times that I went, you know what? I'm not comfortable doing that. I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm pilot command. I didn't say that out loud, but that was in my head. So I said, no, I'm going, I'm going to orbit. I got.
2: And for our li- for our listeners' sake, you cannot enter Class Bravo airspace on flight following. Without hearing the magic phrase, cleared to enter the class Bravo airspace.
0: The, the closest class Bravo to me is is the San Francisco International Airport, uh, which is still quite a ways away. But uh, uh, SAC International is only a class Charlie, um, so I was I was okay there. There's nothing in this area that would really prevent me. You know, I have to get the magic words, but for me, I just wanted to make sure that I knew what I was doing, where I was going, how long it was going to take me, what my exact heading was going to be. Before I went that way, you know, in a check ride, you want to make sure your ducks are in a row. Absolutely. Did that, got it pretty quick. And I said, it's going to take us, you know, like 15 minutes to get there. And it's on a heading of whatever it happened to be, uh, two five zero or something like that. And I was like, okay, he's like, okay, let's go. So rolled out, headed that way. Um, talked to NorCal one time. Um, they were telling me about traffic and we watched out for traffic and, Started heading out there, and I started thinking about it, and I went, wait a minute. I think I just went, I measured to the, you know, I I lined up to Woodland, and I needed to go to um, Yolo County. I think that's what it is, Yolo County. Another little tiny airport. So I went, and I I pulled out my chart again, and I went, oh. I I went to the wrong airport, and I started looking at it, and I asked my mom, can I give you control of the aircraft? He goes, no, you can't. Okay. So I multitasked a little bit, and I went, okay, what I told you was incorrect. We needed to go this this heading, this direction. It's going to take us this long. So I caught my mistake, and he goes, that is exactly what I was looking for.
2: Bingo. So
0: if you, nice. If so, listeners, uh, learn from my mistake, and say if you do find yourself in a position that you made a mistake, don't be afraid to correct yourself. And one of the things that I did learn was. If you find yourself uh, too high or too low on altitude because you're you know you're focused somewhere else, if you notice that all you need to do is say my altitude is off I'm correcting um, The part of the PTS says if you are consistently off altitude um, then that's a problem
1: um, if you catch the mistakes before the uh, DPE does you're always in good shape usually exactly exactly so I would catch that stuff
0: and uh then he was he was completely happy, you know he was going down his checklist okay you know he he sees what it's what's going on, and so that was awesome so um as we're heading out there, I don't have uh an a f d with me. I have my iPad in my bag, which I was allowed to use, but as soon as I would have turned it on, he would have failed it, guaranteed. <laughs> I mean, and he was point blank about it. He's like, do you have an AFD here? And uh, No, sir, I don't have one with me in the plane. He's like, well, how are you going to know when you get to this airport where you could land? Da, da, da. I said, well, you know, on the on the chart, it tells you, you know, right pattern, left pattern, da, da, da. He's like, okay. Well, I ended up just flying over the airport, A, looking at the tetrahedron. I looked at the, uh, um, um, the, the segmented circle, uh, and, and I could tell what the pattern was the reason he asked, and it shows on the chart, it's also an airport that uses, uh, it's a heavily used jump zone. So he wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to fly through the middle of the jump zone and, you know, take out a a parachutist. So um, made sure that I was okay. It was in the northeast quadrant of the airport. So made sure that I missed that, flew over the airport, saw what the pattern was. Jumped in the pattern, you know, made all my calls, which, you know, did all my radios and everything like I'm supposed to do, and and all of that was fine. Um, And he goes, okay, first landing, let's make this a soft field landing. And I I came in, and I wasn't stabilized correctly. We'll say that. I was stabilized, but I wasn't comfortable with it. There was a slight crosswind, not a big deal. Came in, and it would have been great well, it would have been let me rephrase that. It would have been good for a normal landing, Let's say that. But for a soft field, no. It was it was a little too hard. Um, he said that I, I touched the nose wheel, but I know I don't think I did. But you know, he's the examiner, I'll take his word for it. Um, so he goes, Okay, go back around. So I power up, clean everything up, you know, get back in the pattern. He goes, Okay, let's try a short field. So I come in stabilize everything I'm, I'm holding airspeed got a great looking approach come in perfect boom boom shorts nailed it taxi back he goes okay let's go try this soft again we get back up in the pattern um we get probably midfield boom powers out now what are you gonna do i said well i'm gonna go right there to the runway um so i trim for best glide and i did what i'm supposed to do and i made my calls and i kind of i record i I did partially record some of the some of the check ride um and i no longer have the recording which really makes me mad but i listened to it and i actually said to him do you want this to be a soft feet you want this to be a soft landing too and he kind of goes well the way that you're going because there's a long strip of grass at the end he goes I think you're going to be short, and you're going to have a soft field anyway. So he's kind of <laughs> <laughs> bonus. No pressure. Okay, hey, no problem. I make a turn. I'm coming right down. He's like, I think we're going to be short. I, if I put this thing right on the numbers. It was the softest landing I've ever made in my life.
1: Nice. It held the, held, the, held the nose off, and oh, you did a short field, yeah. Uh, so I did. I know it was a, a, a soft. It was a soft feels. I had to hold the nose up. Oh, yeah. You'd already did the short. That's right. Kissed it
0: in. Held the nose up. Boom. It was a perfect power outland and a, and a soft landing. Wow. Oh, if you would have done that the first time, we wouldn't be doing this right now. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but, nice.
0: Get us up in the pattern. He goes, all right, get us home. So I, I took us back home, and uh, um, we... Climbed, or we did on the way back. We we did some low altitude, or we did some low air work. Um, turn around a point, S turns, all that, nailed all that stuff. That was not a problem. Um, those I was very very comfortable with before. So, um, it, as much as as uh, student pilots, you kind of get bored doing all that stuff. My suggestion: go out and practice this stuff, nail it. Just get it down so you're just like, uh, oh, you want me to do slow flight? No problem. Trim it up, whatever you flaps, get it all dialed in, not a problem. Get comfortable. Um, I I can't honestly say that I memorized the PTS, but I did everything so much that I started to gain muscle memory. Okay, we're gonna do this. Okay, power back fifteen hundred, flaps in, and you just it just became muscle memory, which was I was pretty happy with. Um, so. Let's see. we got back to the airport. Uh, he had me do uh flat failure. Your flaps don't work now land and we had uh, it was it was a clear, so I've never ever done a flaps up landing in the archer.
1: I still haven't
0: yeah it it was it, I think it was it's not something that's required. He just wanted to see how I would handle it. I was going to say he can't bust you for that. Exactly. Yeah, I think it was just he for his own comfort level. He's like, "You've, you've done everything else. I'm happy. You, you can fly." And he basically told me that on the way back. He goes, "He goes, your flying skills are perfect." He goes, "You did everything that I wanted you to do perfectly." Um, he goes, "You just
1: can't remember crap. Can't remember no. shit." <laughs> <laughs> I was the same way when it came to that oral. I remember the same way about getting nervous about that.
0: I can have a conversation with people, but. When you start to quiz me, I think that's when it really just, the pressure's on and I just kind of like lock up. Um, so, anyway, I, I, I get into my normal pattern, do the same setup like I've done a hundred times before, um, except I'm, I'm really working my airspeed, um, you know, pitch and power, and I'm not real comfortable. It's a, it's a completely different glide slope. And I, I came in. I think I, I crossed the threshold probably around 80 knots, or I should be closer to 60, 65. Um, set it right down on the gear. It was it was fine. It wasn't hard. It wasn't bouncy or anything. Um, I felt like we were in in uh, ground effect for four times longer, but I don't think it was that long, but it felt like we were in ground effect for quite a while. Set it down and used the whole runway. Um, I'd say the actual landing was probably half the runway, but I allowed it to, to, to roll out so I didn't have to grind the brakes. Um, uh, he goes, wow, that was exciting. And, and But it was a successful landing. He goes, oh, you've never done that before, have you? I'm like, nope. <laughs> he goes, well, you handled yourself very well. He goes, I hope you never, ever have to do it again. He goes, no, not criticizing your your pilotage right there. He goes, you did just fine. He goes, but I just wanted to see for my own my own uh, comfort that you could you could do this. So we taxied back, and I hate he doesn't say anything yet. We're still talking. I'm like, hmm, are you gonna fail? <laughs> Out Get home base, we're taxiing back. We're just you know shooting the breeze, and you know I, I I'm making sure. And here's the other thing. Listeners have the checklist in your hand. Have it in your knee board, whatever. Go during the check ride, during the mock check ride. Have your checklist. Go through every single step. And that was the one thing that I made sure that I did. Um, and he actually gave me kudos afterwards. He said, "I was very impressed that you were in the checklist for everything." Um, he uh, "He says it was most students don't do that." He goes, "Most full-fledged pilots." don't do that. He goes, but I was very impressed that you had it in your hand and you were, you were verifying everything. So I did the uh, after landing checklist. We taxied back and and we get almost back in front of the school and he puts his hand out and he goes, congratulations, you're now a pilot. And I was like, yes, you know,
1: it heart heart rate starts going back down. You know what? I was was like, thank you. Thank you
0: very much. I said, thank you for your patience. Um, I had no doubt in my mind that if it was a different DPE during the oral, um, I would have had to go back a second day. But he was extremely patient, um, helped me get through a lot of things. <laughs> Never gave up answers, which he's not allowed to do. But he he allowed me to think about what I was doing um, and and to think about what I was saying because there's a couple times I would answer. He's like, you know, when they throw that, are you sure? are you sure? And that's when you, I start to question myself. It's like, uh, yeah,
1: I hate that question.
0: So it kind of threw me for, it threw me sideways a little bit, but anyway, as we taxi back, he, you know, he shakes my hand, and he goes, congratulations, you pass. And, uh, he goes, I'm going to go, he goes, I'll go ahead and jump out. And after I shut the engine and stuff down, he goes, I'm gonna jump out. I'm gonna go start the paperwork. And, um, he actually helped me push the, push the plane back. And after he had walked away, it was like just this whole wave of emotion hit me, and I was like, Holy crap, I just did it. <laughs> and it was awesome. It was most in line with the emotion that you have after you solo. But it was like four times more. You know, I was like, Wow, I actually just did this. So, um, went in. Um, I actually had to get a paper copy, a handwritten paper copy, because, uh, the computer system was all messed up, but um I still don't have my uh my plastic card but uh it's coming hopefully <laughs> they said it gets sequestration oh <laughs> <laughs> before I see it I was like oh
1: great so um my my d e p um, e um carries a typewriter with her, the one that I use and she she types it all out manually. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to the airport I had scheduled the plane. And uh
0: he had a uh a printed version uh in my instructor's in, ba- in, in basket for me. Um that way I had a clean which I that's the one that I keep in my wallet right now, but I also have the handwritten one actually in my logbook. So I have two copies, two paper copies and no plastic copy, but either way I'm I'm still good. So mm-hmm. And what day was that on? That was March fifteenth, the Ides of March.
1: Cool. So, what would you say that uh, during um, the um, the check ride with the DPE felt more like a lesson than um, than a check ride? Um,
0: I would say before we did the diversion, we were going through some of the maneuvers. Um, and at one point in time, I was a little, I got a little flustered, as in setting up the airplane. And he, he actually kind of backed off a little bit. He goes, he goes, don't be in a hurry to do the maneuver. Take all the time you need to get set up. You know, get the plane set up to do whatever the maneuver is going to be—slow flight or uh, stalls or whatever. He's all, get it, you know, be comfortable. Get your heading. Do what you need to do, and then let me know that you're going to start the maneuver. Um, that was more of, of like training. I felt like uh, that was more like he was coming from a, uh, an instructor's point of view. Um,
1: I just say that because it seems like everyone that I've ever talked to about doing their check ride, they're they're always you know you always walk away feeling like I learned something um, that day, even though it was my check ride. Because uh, for me, it was uh, some of my Vor work. She had taught me a, a certain technique on how to creep up on the Vor. To where once you're on the VOR, you're not continuing to do S's all over the place because you're chasing it. Sure. So she showed me how, this technique on how to kind of creep up onto it. And then once you're on it, you're nailed. And you're, you don't have to move anymore as far as, you know, once you're on that line, you're on that line. So I had learned something there. It felt, felt just like a lesson instead of actually me showing her how to do it.
0: It was funny. In in, in prepping for the the actual check right I think it was probably three to four days before – I actually went back and I listened to John's episode and I listened to your episode and uh, to, so I can kind of put my my brain in the perspective of of getting ready for a check ride and uh it, it's almost like I think mine mine falls in line almost with uh with what you guys did um the other part was when I blew the first uh soft field landing he actually, you know, he talked to me like an instructor. He's like, "It's very important that you get a stabilized approach." And we worked through some things. And and he and I said, "Oh, I, I totally know that." And I I just made a mistake. And what I think threw me off is we had traffic on the runway or something out there that was just sitting there. So I had to extend my my uh, my downwind um, farther than I normally would. Um, so it put me my final put me probably twice as far out as I wanted to be with probably uh eight to ten knot, forty-five crosswind. So it kind of messed with me just a little bit. And I think that's why I blew it, because when I got back into a standard pattern, um then it was much easier. That 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 picture looked right instead of being five miles out, I'm you know, I'm three miles out or two miles out. And and uh so he talked to me a little bit there uh, and that was that was really helpful. Um his his demeanor in the classroom versus his demeanor in the airplane um were different. Uh it was more critical in the classroom but he could see that I could fly so he was less critical. He could see that I could perform the first handful of maneuvers. He relaxed, I relaxed and then it was just like say if um one of you guys and I were out flying, and we're up there just, you know, shooting the breeze. And he like, hey, yeah, you know, Brad says, hey, Mark, can you show me slow flight? Yeah, no problem, Brad. Here we go. And uh, or we're out taking pictures. We need to do slow flight. We're over the lake. I'm going to take some pictures of the, you know, whatever, this boat on the lake. And so you get into a slow flight configuration so you can take pictures. And, and that was not a problem. Um, it was actually not... The flying part was actually easy. I mean, we were up for two hours. Uh, I've got it in the logbook as two hours, and uh, it didn't feel like it. I mean, I think a lot of it was getting out to that far field and getting back and doing stuff in between, going to and from. But I wasn't, I wasn't stressed out during the flight at all. Isn't it amazing how that kind of just
3: happens? Yeah, because because I had the same feeling after about ten, ten, fifteen minutes. It just you forgot what you were doing.
0: Yeah. We were just out, out, out flying. And you know what? I was actually a little bit more, um, I don't want to say nervous, but I took my, my youngest daughter up, uh, a week later, we went up for an hour and a half. Uh, and I've, we basically flew up North and I showed her the, the foothill, um, town that, that, uh, she, that my wife grew up in and we flew around there. And I mean, we go up there all the time, but to see it from the air was completely different. Uh, Flew across the valley, um, flew, got clearance to fly directly over Beale Air Force Base, which was really kind of cool. She's never seen it from the air. Um, uh, we actually had um, we had a pair of T-38s fly underneath us on a long approach. Um, so she got to see that, and that was really cool. We went to uh, um, a mountain range. It's, it's, a very, it's the, the world's smallest mountain range. It's called the Sutter Buttes. Um, one of the things that I've always said is, when I get my license, I want to go fly the Sutter Buttes just to see what they look like up close. So we did that. We flew across the valley, and did, did a flight around there, and then you know, came back across to, uh, uh, by SAC International. And we were talking to ATC, and we got vectored here and there. We got to see some heavy traffic basically come right at us and and descending turn below us. It was really kind of cool. I mean, it wasn't right at us. It was, you know, obviously several miles away, but you could clearly see 737s coming at you and making a turn below you. And, you know, they're saying, uh, you know, stay at or above this this altitude. And I was more nervous then because I was truly the pilot in command making all the decisions with my daughter in the seat next to me. Um, Then I was more nervous than actually taking the check ride. but once we were back on the ground after having that first flight, I was like, this freaking rocks. <laughs> Feeling I can go get in one of these planes and go anywhere I want now, at any time I want to go, um, I now have the the tools to do that. And that was that was the reality when it really kicked in that, hey, you know what? You're a pilot now. You're part of a very small community of people that get to do what you're doing now. You get to see the world from a different perspective. Um, so it was a really cool feeling. You know, I, Mark, I
2: can totally relate to what you're saying about being nervous. I, the first several flights that I had after getting my private pilot's license, I was, I was really nervous about, about it. And actually, I had the same feeling after I got my instrument rating. I was uh, nervous about flying in the system and flying in clouds and, and stuff like that. And it took a little while to get over it and just to relax and to be able to enjoy it. Uh, so I'm glad it, it, I'm glad it only took you one flight. It took me uh, a little bit longer.
0: It'll probably take me a couple more flights, especially you know, with the way the weather is here. Um, i had actually posted some, some photos. I went with a flight. I went to an FAA briefing, uh, with, uh, my buddy, Keith. We actually, he, he flew PIC. He was left seat in the, uh, in the arrow. And, uh, we went to Livermore to go to a mountain flying briefing. Uh, it's one of the FAA uh, wings programs. And uh, when we came, we came. He's IFR certified, um, among everything else. He's he's a chief since then. Um, but going in, we he actually filed IFR to get us there, which is you know habit for him anymore. Whether it's severe clear or truly IMC. So we go, and we actually needed, we had to fly through clouds to get into the the basin where Livermore in the East Bay is. So we flew through some clouds. Um, We were vectored in and did everything, and we got in. Uh, But coming out, um, we actually hit IMC for probably 10 minutes. And what really scared me, and this is a trust thing, you trust ATC and you trust the departure uh, procedure that you're flying. We're flying directly at a ridge where the clouds cover the top of the ridge. And I'm looking at this going, we're barely going to clear this ridge. I mean, we're exactly where we need to be.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I have full faith in Keith and in, in his piloting abilities. But we literally, as we're crossing this ridge, we're in full IMC. And the, all you see is gray around us. And I'm like, this is not fun. <laughs> Exactly. This is not fun being in complete IMC. And we finally popped out. And if you see the pictures that I posted up on our Facebook page, um, there were some amazing clouds. And we actually got to drag our feet um, th- going north up the valley uh, f- for half an hour. It was so cool. But punching through the clouds a couple of times, it was not as fun as I thought it was going to be. You know, one of the things I've always thought of is a, as a private pilot, you see some of these just these puffy clouds that are just out there. You're like, you know what? I'm going to punch a hole right through that cloud. I remember you saying that in an earlier episode. I'm going to think twice, honestly, about that. because <laughs> Now that I've done it with him, what looks like a small cloud might not be a small cloud. And, and even if you have flight following, you just never know. Um, there could be some guy with a a cub or something out there that <laughs> is right below that cloud you know, where he's here, where he's supposed to be. But, you know, if you drop below and I, it was just a little concerning. I, I didn't see things. So, um, that was the second flight, um, a- after, um, having my license or getting, you know, taking the check ride. And, um, that one made me respect what we do or the, uh, the, the ability that we have a little bit more, you know, even though we were kind of, dragging our feet and doing stuff and we were completely legal doing what we were doing. Um, you start to look around going, Hmm, this is fun, but this is also kind of, you, you have to respect what you're doing at the same time. You can't just go out there and punch holes and act like an idiot. It's very real. No, it's the real deal. Yeah,
1: most definitely.
0: When the responsibility is now hundred percent on you and not the guy in the right seat with the, all the, with all the ratings and the certifications. And it's it's hundred percent on you. It's a different perspective. Um, so it's it's definitely something that I respect, and I'm very thankful that I've I've made it through this phase of my flight training. Um, uh, I definitely plan on doing more. I want to go get my complex and my performance, high performance, and you know, eventually, um, I would like to say within probably the next couple of years, I definitely want to start uh, my instrument rating. Um, that one. I will not drag out for three years like I did this, um, A, simply for cost. Um, I, I added up my hours. Um, I should have done it at, at 42, 43 hours. Um, because I kept dragging this out and and, and not being consistent with my training, um, I ended up being at 56.6 hours. So it really actually put me towards the, the national average. I was going to say that's not all that far out of uh, out
2: of whack with the average.
0: No, I that's still below the average in fact, a little bit Isn't it over 60. Uh, I think it's like 60 they were saying 60 to 70 hours. Um, and you know what I can see that if you're if you're not if you're not grasping everything and you're not you know being consistent flying twice a week or three times a week like they like they say you should, I can see this dragging out because if you're not staying on top of it and Staying on top of the books and the flying, which is where it bit me honestly, because I had to stop and take some time and I, I had to take two weeks and actually go back and basically go through the books again because it focused so much on the flying that I started to forget the simple stuff and in which my confidence level, obviously during the oral, it really took a hit so um, if if that's the one recommendation that I could make to anybody. If you can do it, um, I mean, we all know what it costs to do to get to get your private. Um, I think it probably cost me probably a couple thousand dollars more because I drug it out. Um, and, it, and it cost me, I'd say, probably at least 10 hours more just because I had to do refresher flights and practice more. And, you know, so if you can do it. Get a good chunk of the money aside, or you know, finance it, or whatever you're going to do. But but get your training in, you know, six months to a year. Uh, that would be my number one piece of advice. Um, if you get it quicker than that, I I don't think that you're truly learning. I think you're just going through the motions and getting enough enough knowledge to pass. And then I think you're going to forget it. But if you do it in six months to a year, you're learning everything. You'll start to retain it. I think you'd be a better pilot down the road. Um, dragging out three years, starting, stopping, starting, stopping, like I did. Um, not saying that I don't know the stuff, but I, I, I would say that you were probably. I would. I would probably be more secure in my knowledge if I would have done it in a year and a half, a year. Um, so, anyway, it's done. I did it. So yay. Yes.
1: Yeah. I think
2: Congrats. you know, Yeah. Absolutely. Congratulations Mark. This is awesome.
1: Yes, yeah, funny Mark. My uh my first flight as a private pilot um actually was uh from the airport that I picked up the DPE at for back to my home airport. But uh that don't, that hardly counts. Well, it does count. But uh, <laughs> cuz I I actually went over to a different airport to uh get my DPE um for my check, right? But uh, I, I took my daughter up, uh, my youngest daughter, um, for my first ride, um, and it was kind of funny because uh, I was taking my buddy Dean, who I fly with, with the little Cessna 140, up to Flagstaff to pick up his Cessna because he had popped um, the tire uh, when we went up there for a blood run. He, uh, the tailwheel popped, so we were kind of stranded, so I was like, all right, I'll fly you up. It'll be a good excuse to go flying, so – it was a lot of fun uh, taking my daughter up uh, north through the mountains and everything. And if you remember that episode, that's where uh, I did an aborted takeoff um, at, uh, at Flagstaff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of learning lessons since then, that's for sure.
2: You know, it's funny
1: your comment, Mark, about being
2: PIC and it's a different perspective when you're pilot in command. I had that same experience uh, to a lesser extent after I, uh, after I soloed because I would go to the little grass strip where I was training and there wasn't like a real FBO there. There was, you know, I would basically pull the plane out, uh, drive, drive the fuel truck over, fuel it, get in and go. (laughs) And, you know, this is how I did my solos. I I was endorsed to solo out of that field and up to, uh, St. Cloud, which has a 7,000 foot concrete runway. And up until that point, I would do the pre-flight, you know. I would check the plane and go through the checklist and go around everything. But I was taking it fairly casually because I knew that there was going to be somebody in the right seat. And then when I'm out there at like eight o'clock in the morning, in you know, in February in Minnesota, and it's cold, and I'm I've got a heater and stuck in the cowling, and I'm going, you know what? I really have to make sure that this plane is actually. You know, not bent and and in good shape because there's nobody in the right seat that's going to bail me out uh, if I miss something. Yep. Uh, nobody else is going to see it, and I I, I had that same exact feeling that you had.
3: You know that uh, you know reminds me. You were Mark talking about uh, you know your checklist and had hey, them in your hands and you were kind of double checking everything. I I find that I spend so much more time, especially in the run up and and another you know uh, on the ground looking at the checklist and double like triple checking everything that I do that I'm actually, I I wouldn't say I'm spending a lot more time than I, than most people probably do doing that because I know that that's it. It's, I need to make sure that I've
0: covered everything on this checklist because if I forget something that's on me. Absolutely. It's your butt in the seat now and and nobody else can take over and, 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 and save you.
3: And it's always been something that's in my mind and I, I am triple checking that thing.
1: What's this going to look like in the NTSB report? That's the important part.
0: (laughs) You you know, what's funny is I just listened to the episode that uh, the airspeed episode that that, the Tupper just put out about. um, I can't remember his first name. I don't want to say it's Sean, but uh, Dan Greider's son, who who did. Drew. Drew, Thank you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, is, he, did his, he did his solo, his first solo is at night in formation, da-da-da. But, but what Dan was saying is that through his training, he had over 100 takeoffs where he would fail him on, on, on takeoff. And he goes, I feel bad for him that I've done that, but I know that he knows how to recover or how to, you know, how to, if the engine fails on takeoff, that he knows what he's doing. I want him to think that it's going to fail on every single takeoff and when it doesn't then you act surprised and I think a lot of people take that for for granted. Um we've had we've had people take off, you know, with pedo covers on and I I've seen that firsthand at a, at a couple different airports and it's cuz they didn't do a I tried to brief do that. Line. Yeah. Oh, that's terrifying. It's like you're taking off and nothing's moving. Uh, Where? Wait, I have no airspeed. At least, I think Chris, you caught yours and you were able to abort the takeoff.
1: Correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't make it off the ground. I, you know, when I was barreling down the runway and I weren't, I wasn't at forty knots yet. I, I knew something was wrong. So, but it's
0: it's the it's the complacency I think that that we we get in. It's oh, I've done this a hundred times and. It's it's so important. I mean, as a former crew chief, we lived with the checklist. I mean, I had a book. It was a three a small three ring binder that was all the checklists that I had to go through, um, because I knew some guy's butt was in that seat and I was responsible for him, even though he had his own pre flight that he had to go through and and do. But it was if something was wrong with that plane, it was it was on me, and I didn't want to send them up. Uh, because I made a mistake, so that's the way you know the Air Force treats you or, or teaches you is that you live and literally you live and die by the checklist. So that's something I've carried over. Um, there's a lot of things that I do non-aviation related that I actually I, I write myself a checklist for for some tasks. Do I have this? Do I have this? Do I have this? And I'm trying to teach my daughters that too. Um, but so it was. I actually found in my training, because I had uh, I w- the comfort level of an instructor right there is like, okay, let's just let's just get up and go, and we'll go do our air work, and we'll do our things, um, that we weren't actually, we were doing, but we weren't verifying with the checklist, because we've done it so many times. I thought about that later, and I went, how many flights did we actually do that? And I'm not saying it was my last instructor, or my first instructor, or any in between, I'm just, it's, I've noticed that I thought about it later through my training. That we just said, okay, you know what? Let's get up in the practice area. Let's just, you know, we do a run up. Okay, you ready? Let's go. Okay, get up. And it's because we didn't, you know, sit there and go through the checklist. But I make sure now that and now that it's literally my butt in the seat. It's I'm I'm, I'm going to make sure that I do it. So,
3: so I have a quick question. Um, did you? Uh, did he fail your engine?
0: He did. That was that was where I successfully did the soft field also. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we were like mid, midfield downwind, and he goes, okay, bailed. And that's where he go, where he made the comment. When I made a quick comment was, do you want this one to be a soft field too? And he goes, as we were turning, um, I was making my turn. I said, do you want this to be soft also? And he goes, well, we're far enough out. You might be doing a soft no matter what because <laughs> I don't think we're going to make the runway.
1: So, so you Okay, re- so that was. Yeah. All right. So, did you run that as I took it as you ran that as almost just a regular uh, uh, pattern? So, a regular, uh, um, yeah, a regular pattern instead of doing a, um, a short approach. I did a short approach and I, and I probably should have been oh, more okay. clear
0: with that. I was actually, when I hit the, it you wasn't down when, I was downwind, when I hit the numbers, I was already turning and, and descending towards the, the runway. Um, but it it was not a a short field in what you would expect to be, okay, I'm rolling over down I'm dropping to the, to the runway um, and, and put it in the middle of the runway. Um, I, I was doing, I knew that I had it, the runway made. I had, was trimmed uh, for 76 and was cruising around and it was more of a semicircle. I just made a made, I from basically at the, at the numbers instead of, you know, going farther down at the numbers trimmed up, made my left turn because he failed at midfield so I had that half of the runway to trim, get myself ready, make my calls, made the turn by the time we were at the numbers, and rolled it right around and put it right on the numbers. Um,
1: and, so were you about 105 knots or so at midfield?
0: Uh, yeah.
1: yeah. Because you come in about uh, – actually,
0: uh, yeah, because by the time you're at the numbers, you want to be at 80. So – when you when you start to do put your first notch of flaps in, you're at 80 knots, you know, on a normal landing, and then you're progressing through your, you know, your, your the rest of your, um, your base and final uh, adding flaps. But um, the one thing that kind of threw me off was uh, I got to I got to the end of the I got to the numbers, put the first notch of flaps in as I'm rolling in. He's like, "Are you sure you want to do that?" And I said, "Well, yeah." I said, uh, uh, "The first notch for sure. Give me a little bit of lift." Um, not enough drag, and I want to make sure that I have the runway. In. And as probably two-thirds through, I threw in the second notch, and when I knew that I had it made, I threw the threw the last uh, notch of flaps in and, and landed normally. Um, it was actually a lot less of an event than I expected it to be because I my instructor had failed the engine on me probably a dozen times before. Um, so that was really not a not a major event to me, so was that your emergency descent, or was that a separate maneuver? that was separate we We actually did an emergency descent that's how we transitioned from the high air work to the low air work uh, when we were out before he diverted me. Um, so we were up around three thousand feet doing whatever we were doing you know stalls and a you know, power on power off stalls and and slow flight and such and he goes, okay. Um, show me your emergency descent. So I went through that whole procedure, um, got us down to about 1,000 feet. Um, we did some other stuff, and then he diverted me. So he says, okay, get to your, your proper altitude. Um, get me to where we need to be. And so then I, I processed through the rest of that. So, we yeah, we oh, well obviously covered everything in the PTS. And and I think he actually threw a couple extra things in there, but uh, the fact that it's been what, almost two months now. Um, it gets a little rusty.
1: You notice how on the Archer, in the uh, the first notch of flaps, you barely feel it at all? Yep. So, like, like if your eyes were closed and your passenger did that, you might not even notice it happen. But that second one, you actually feel the plane rise up.
0: Uh, in, it, in the it, one that I have?
1: It, and slow down. Yeah,
0: in the one that I have, you actually, if you're doing 80 knots and you hit that first notch, I actually, it'll pitch up slightly, um, and then all you do is... You know, find your eighty knots again, and you know, pitch forward and hold eighty knots, and and uh, it, it again, that's kind of a small thing, but yeah, that that second notch goes in. You're like, okay, we're just slowing down and we're
1: descending. Yeah, you can definitely feel that one. The uh, the first notch definitely seems to add um, gives give you a little bit more um, glide distance than the actual drag it's putting on there for sure. And uh, weather was good for that day, so
0: oh yeah, it was was a beautiful
1: day. It was a perfect day to go do it. I
0: was I was pretty happy. I mean, we had a little bit of a little bit of a wind, but it was it was nothing uh, nothing scary at all. I think we had probably six to eight, so it it was just it was a nice day. It was was severe clear.
1: So, and you've you've uh, done uh, how many flights since then now? Two Two or three? Two. Um,
0: One as pilot in command with with my daughter, and then one in the right seat in the Arrow. With, uh, with my buddy Keith and, and Haley was with us on that one too. Um, and uh, so she's, she's definitely my, uh, my co-pilot. Um, <laughs> I, it was kind of cool because I had her, I had her working the radios and stuff when we went flying the first time. Um, I was that comfortable and I know the area enough that uh, I, I, I gave her my knee board and I said, okay, here's the chart, walk through some stuff. And she was actually dialing in the radios and stuff for me, which was co- which was really cool. It's like the first step for her to, you know, She wants to get her license, too. So she's a freshman in high school. So hopefully by the time she's, uh, she just turned 15. So maybe we do some stuff this year. But I have a feeling um, we have a lot of women in the local aviation association that uh, want to support her um, with helping her get a lot of the um, scholarships. So there's several scholarships that are out there for women. but you have to be 16. Um, you have to have a certain GPA, which she has. Um, you have to be able to, to write a good essay. And she'll be able to do that. And then um, the oral portion, they, most of them, they want you to, uh, if the local ones, for sure, they want you to, to go in and have a, an interview with you. So, I mean, if she can get scholarships to cover half to 75%, then, you
1: know, we're good to go. So Cool is that like uh, local 99s
0: they have the 99s they have um I, I there was there was like 3 of them just here in the in the local northern california area that you know were if she was able to get all 3 of them i think there's like a 1500 dollar one there's a 2500 dollar one there's one that's highly competitive that's 5000 um ooh yeah but it's it's there's only one of those a year and it's it's super super competitive because it's open to all women in aviation, and it, you can use it for your instrument, your commercial. Oh. So, you know, she could be competing against, you know, somebody who's already like a commercial-rated pilot or something like that. But I think they take that into consideration, too. You know, I I, I would hope so, that you've got a, a young up-and-comer versus somebody who could probably pay their own bills. Right, you know, kind right. Of thing.
1: So, so you're... Does your wife have any uh, rules so far about you flying, um, with the family? Not at all. Not at all. She, oh. uh, with
0: my daughters, the, the one thing that's kind of an un unspoken unwritten is I don't take both of my girls up at the same time.
1: Oh, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah.
0: I mean, she hasn't say, this is the, you can't do this. It's not like that. It's, it's, she would, she's kind of said, I'd kind of prefer that you don't do that. Um, if you want to take one or take the other, that's great. She says uh, she won't fly with me yet. I mean, I'm going to probably need you know ten <laughs> thousand hours or something. But uh, she doesn't want to fly in small aircraft, period. And it doesn't and, matter and, who. It and is. it has to be a like a citation. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. You know that she's actually um, she's become more receptive to the idea now that I have my license and that I've I've since flown. With, with Haley, um, and she's heard about it, and she now when I said that we were going to go to the FAA thing in, uh, in Livermore she was like, okay, well she goes, is Haley going to go with you? And I said, she, and she goes, okay well, who's, who's pilot in command? And I said, it's going to be Keith, because we're going to fly the Arrow, it's complex blah, blah, blah. She goes, well, you're going to be in the, in, the, in the right seat, and I said, yeah. She goes, okay. She goes, have a great time. <laughs> you know? But, so it's it's little comments like that that she's becoming more receptive to the idea, knowing that we're going to be flying together more. Um, You know, like I said in, in previous episodes a long time ago, one of the original ideas for me to get my license was, with Haley playing competitive soccer, she has tournaments in, you know, Fresno, San Diego, Las Vegas, you know, in the Bay Area. And, you know, Fresno from sacramento area is it's a four and a half hour drive i can make that flight in an hour you know so i fly down most of the fields are within a couple of miles of the airport parents have already told me hey we'll come pick you up at the airport no problem so or i rent a car you know something simple like that get to soccer fields are plenty big yeah just land right there. exactly (laughs) um but but the whole mindset of of it's it's dollar versus your time so if do i want to spend nine hours driving where i could fly it in two you know kind of a thing um so you know we missed i missed uh, one of the things i talked about in the last episode was being able to fly down to vegas we were down in vegas in uh february that was a brutal drive back up 95 we went we came back up all the way through nevada and across it was like a 12 hour day well that's three and a half hours in the plane I would have much rather done that. Um, the cost would have been, you know, much higher versus gas. In uh, that weekend, I think we talked about it in the last episode. There were no deals through Southwest or any of the other regionals that uh, for that whole weekend because it was uh, it was uh, Valentine's weekend and I want to say it was a President's weekend or something like that. So usually you go down there for fifty nine dollars or eighty nine dollars um, round trip was going to be three ninety five per person. So that's what we oh. drove. That's brutal. Yeah. So I mean, it was it was like okay, for three ninety five per person. Okay, I could f- I could take the Archer down there for that, <laughs> and I'm not on the road for twelve hours each way. And and you know, so I could have flown right into Hend- Henderson Executive, which are the field was literally uh, one of the fields was literally two miles away, and I could have just had a rental car for the weekend. So mm-hmm. it's it's those are the things almost- that I want to do this.
1: I've almost went to go see Mike Daniels like twice now up in North North Las Vegas. It's, but it would be um six hundred bucks for me to fly there, and I'm I'm a lot closer than you, but it's still a uh, a two hour flight. Um, sure, it's actually t- it's about two hours for me. I would think it might be an hour. No, it's about an hour and forty five minutes. I guess.
0: But then you uh, difference of age drive that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, like, there was me and three other guys from work. I'm like, yeah, let's go fly it, you know. And and, and we just split it. And you know, I told them what it was going to be, you know, to split it. And they're like, uh, never mind. We'll just we'll not split, so much. We'll, we'll just pay 75 bucks in gas and drive it.
2: <laughs> yeah. See that now that you can't use gas as the comparison. You have to use like the IRS mileage reimbursement rate. Because at least then you're in the ballpark. Because when, <laughs> oh, okay. you, when you take the plane, you're not paying for gas. I mean, roughly 60% of your cost is going to fuel, but the other 40% is going to the like the engine reserve and all that stuff that you're not counting mm-hmm. if you're only comparing it against the gas cost of driving the car.
1: Yeah.
3: That's a valid point. Yeah, So cost of tires, cost of all that sure. other stuff in the car. I mean, you got to factor the
0: maintenance of that in. Well, yeah, I just I just put two new tires on my wife's Yukon. That was four hundred and fifty dollars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm about to do the same thing to our Fit.
3: Well,
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Fit's got nice little, little nice little tires, little donut tires. Little yeah.
2: Donut tires. Yeah, yeah, you just get some bagels.
1: You just go steal the spare tires much. out of four cars. You'd be all set. <laughs> 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 so
0: anyway, um, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Um, I'm glad it's done i'm just I'm looking forward to get building some time and flying with friends and family. I've got uh plenty of both that are ready to go up and go fly. Um, I have to figure out some kind of a route that I want to take them to show them around the area i at this point in time, I'm like, okay, I'll take you flying. Well, what do you want to see well, I don't know you're you're the pilot well, <laughs> what <do> you <laughs> show me something see? cool exactly like, well, what do you want to see? You know <laughs> to me, I've seen it all so many times. I'm like, well, what's cool to you?" Mm-hmm. Let's figure that
1: out. But. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the reason I brought up about the rules with your wife is because my wife, we we still have a rule, and it's uh, she won't fly with me by myself. We have flown as a family, all four of us, um, twice now, um, and I and if and I can take one child, but not both. So similar to yours. Yeah, yeah And yeah. my wife is is not um, happy with with you know being up in the front seat and. And, and flying in small airplanes like your wife uh, it's pretty much the same matter of fact we flew to Sedona and and I, and I was like could would you you take know, take the yoke the for a minute I, you don't have to take it long I just want to read something in, in the it was in the AFD or something mm-hmm. I just want to find something and, she, and and she no longer had her hands on the yoke that she wanted to get rid of it. she was like, no 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 take it back take it back take it back She was just so afraid that this thing was going to flip upside down somehow. And she still thinks it can do that,
0: but. You, you know what's funny is is and, I, and my wife is just like yours she's a nurse and she's highly educated and, and very smart woman, but there's times that I think she thinks it's like a cartoon that when the engine stops, the plane stops flying, and I, I've tried to reassure her the fact that pull, honey, pull the mixture exactly <laughs> i've like I'm like you'll. Give her, give her de- definite proof.
2: You know, after she stops screaming, you can show her. Look, we haven't crashed yet. Exactly. Several minutes. <laughs>
0: you're not, you're we have several not helping. minutes still crashing. <laughs> you're not helping at all. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but you know what? It, it's it's funny that, that that there's a lot of people out there that are like that. That that have that mentality. It's like, oh, the engine, the engine sputtered. Well, okay, we still have we have either partial power. We have something. Even if the engine stops. I could still get us safely on the ground. I and I told her, I said, like, honey, you realize of all the hours that I've flown so far, eighty percent of that is is emergency preparedness and how to what to do in the event of So I said that's what a majority of our training is. She goes, Oh. I said, So, you know, there's lots of planes out there that are called gliders that fly perfectly fine without a without an engine. And she's like, Oh yeah, that's a good point, you know, but I think it's still going to be some time before she's ready to go up and maybe that'll be medicated or something. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> my mom
3: swore she was going to have to be medicated to go up with me and then I took her up and it was the best thing she ever did. She
1: loved it. My, so My mom and sister are coming out next week because uh, my daughter's uh, graduating high school so we're having a graduation party and whatnot so I would love to take them up but I seriously doubt I'm going to have time because they're only going to be here for a few days so We'll see. We'll try. Maybe a night flight. That would be cool.
0: As a matter of fact, I'm already. I already. I'm. I'm going to get on. Uh, we use a schedule point at the school up at the that I that I fly out of, and uh, I'm almost tempted to schedule the plane July 3rd. We have a lot of July 3rd fireworks. Um, I want to. I'm almost thinking of reserving it now, just so I can go up and do it, go see fireworks with a uh, take my daughter up and go see watch the fireworks before. Um. Let's see what it's got. I I've I've seen it from a uh, airliner but never, you know, myself. Yeah, I've I always wanted to do that. It it seems
2: like a great idea. Um I I didn't go up for for the 4th of July, but I had I happened to be up one time when I there was some stuff going off on the ground and it's really um unimpressive.
1: It's <laughs> you have no yeah, because there you have no um what do you call it perception. perception. Yeah. There's no perception of height at that point. It's just these colors, you know, appearing below you because you're not hearing the noise anymore. And
2: and, you're so far away. Yeah. They're tiny. It's not when you're underneath them. They're they're very close to you. Um, But when you're in the airplane, you're, you know, a quarter of a mile away at the least, probably more like at least half a mile away. You're Um, you're killing my thunder.
0: (laughs) I, you know, I'm just trying to. I know. I know. I know. That's funny. You make very valid points. I mean, I'm sure, I think if I was, even if I remember my last long night flight, I think if they were shooting off fireworks and we were probably only at 3,500 feet, you know, they probably wouldn't be very spectacular. Be like, oh, great. Yeah. There were a firework.
1: You know. And I'm going to still probably do it too, Mark. Yeah. I'm going to do it that way. You know, it's I, one of those. <laughs> it's one And of I've those, been told the same things. It's a bucket list item. It really is. Yeah, You know. Might so, as well. Yeah. Oh wow! You went to go fly.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> and night flying's cool, anyway. So.
0: So that, is everybody night current? I'm not actually. I was going to fly this past weekend, and then uh, all of a sudden it hit me. Ah, my medical is no longer current, so I have my 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 appointment scheduled for next Friday to go get uh, my medical taken care of again.
3: I'm not going to respond to that question
1: <laughs> no, my, sorry John. My last night flight was uh see August, September fifth, two thousand twelve. So I think I'm out of currency,
2: yeah, I think you are too. I think I'm like two days out of currency right now for a night, but I need
3: one more landing, so I'm over a year and a half <laughs> no, two, two years, sorry John. <laughs> okay, no, <laughs> wait a minute, hang on, no, wait. I have not done a night flight since February of 2011. Wow! Wow! Because I've only done one since I got my list, my uh, certificate.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, I was thinking about this the other day. I mean, I'm 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 pretty much almost done flying during the daytime now because you know it just you know I did it, I did it last year and and here we are. It's it's May 9th and you guys are all have fantastic weather and this is like. Um, Brad's equivalent to uh, uh, December, January, and February, or maybe November, December, January. It's just, you know, for you, it's the opposite of me. For me, it's just, you know, it's just too bloody hot and it's just uncomfortable. Um, and I don't like getting up at 4 a.m. in order to be at the airport by 5 and take off, you know. At the butt crack of dawn, and hopefully be back by nine because it's already getting to be close to 100 degrees. And there's some parts of July and August that it just doesn't get, you know, well, there's definitely parts of August that it doesn't get below 100 degrees. And even at 3 a.m., it still shows 100 degrees because the ground is radiating heat off of it still. Sucks. So, you know, density
0: altitude really kicks in about then, too. That's a misery.
1: <laughs> it's it it's a b- when you gotta calculate density altitude at two in the morning. <laughs> it's just dumb. <laughs> so I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot for doing a bunch of night flying uh during the summer and just forget the daytime flying. It it, it should be a blast. There you go. Any shout outs? I've got a couple. I do. Uh I have a shout out to
2: my friends Adam and Eric. Uh, I think they're both listeners, and they certainly know who they are. They came to my flying club's open house uh, a few weeks ago and uh, really had a good time and took both of them up for flights last year. Both of them are working on their private pilot certificates. Uh, As we talk right now, Adam is post-solo and starting to get ready for his checkride, and Eric is pre-solo and uh, just kind of grinding through the maneuvers. So. Hats off to you both.
1: I'll go next. I've got a, a few uh, shout-outs myself. Uh, first shout-out is to uh, Neil. um goes by Pilot underscore NGB on, uh, on Twitter. Um, Neil is uh, from the UK, but he's been living down here in Arizona for several months uh, working for Intel. But he's he's now uh, moving, unfortunately, and now he's going up to Oregon um, is that right? Seattle, Washington, Oregon. I think it's Oregon uh, for a few more months before he goes back to England, and we've got to hang out quite a bit and go to some different fly-ins and whatnot. As a matter of fact, just saw him today at a fly-in, and um, the other cool thing is we're we're uh, I'm in for Oshkosh, um, which is uh, new information for me. But uh, Neil and I are both flying um, Allegiant Air together uh, over to Oshkosh, so that'll be a blast. Awesome. And- and uh, another quick shout-out is to uh, Miranda, another uh, local pilot down here. Miranda is at, is um, uh, Z06 underscore capital M-I-R on, uh, on the Twitters. And uh, congratulations, Miranda. She uh, just became a commercial pilot two days ago. Woo-hoo. Very cool. Woo-hoo. Yeah. And uh, one more quick one. Um, uh at az aviator uh brian uh, met him for the first time today over at cutter uh, aviation at uh, phoenix for the uh patio fly, uh, fly-in barbecue so uh good to meet you brian talk to you guys later cool and i just wanted
3: to um quickly uh we're gonna we're gonna get into it a little bit more um in episode 29 um but just uh sun and fun i had a blast down there hanging out with uh dave flies mike ladd larry overstreet his wife was down there um Chris, aviation junkie, uh, saw Robert Sigliano, all kinds of people, um, got to camp with all of them and it was a blast. Um, I can't imagine going to these events without being able to go and hang out with people like that and to work with them throughout the week. Um, so I'm so looking forward to Oshkosh and seeing everybody else again. Uh, Hmm. let's go
1: ahead and do uh, where you can find us. Uh, Chris, let's start with you. Sure. You can reach me at Chris at in the pattern podcast. Or you can reach me on uh, Twitter, and that's cholubaz, C-H-O-L-U-B-A-Z, as well as that's also my username for um, YouTube if you'd like to check out my videos there.
0: All hey, right, and uh, Mark? Yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter as at studentpilotmark. Um, got to change that handle. Obviously, yeah, you got to change that. You know what? I actually decided to keep it. A Pilot Mark is taken, but a good Pilot is always learning, so I'm going to be a perpetual student pilot. All right, stick with my logic. Um, there you go. A friend of mine who's a former Air Force uh, test pilot said, "Even he today is still learning." So um, I'll stick with that. Um, find me at Mark at In the Pattern Podcast, and uh, that's pretty much pretty much about it these days.
3: Cool. And uh, Brad,
2: you can reach me via email, uh, Brad at In the Pattern or on the Twitterverse. Uh, Bravo, Romeo, Alpha, Delta, Kilo, Oscar, Echo, Hotel, November.
3: All right. And, uh, you can reach me at John at inthepatternpodcast.com. Uh, you can also reach me on Twitter and, uh, I'm also on app.net as Pilot Conway. Uh, I noticed a couple of people, uh, aviation people have been starting to kind of hop over to app.net. So, um, that's been kind of cool. Um, also, for the entire podcast, you can reach us all at podcast at in the or on our website at in the We're also on Twitter and Google Plus uh, and Facebook is in the pattern. Uh, finally, you can also leave us a voicemail at 707 uh, PCAST01 and that was 707 Papa Charlie Alpha Sierra Tango01. We look forward to hearing from you. Uh, with that, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap up episode twenty-eight of the End the Pattern podcast. I'd like to thank y'all for listening. Remember, make left traffic here clear for the option.
2: and other
0: great shows at the Aviation Media Network.
1: The in your head. Dot
2: com.
0: Well, so, so much for this taking a half hour. You said 10
3: minutes. 10-15 <laughs> yeah,
0: minutes, I yeah. Know. I, I could have, but I was like, you know what? We're going to talk. I didn't want to be a 10-minute episode. We're, not, we're
3: <laughs> at an hour 18. I mean, hey. <laughs> Also, uh <sighs> eh, never mind, I'll say that. <laughs> I'm I'm getting tired too now, you can tell. That's all I got.
0: Family Wham